Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, I thought we'd seen the last of Manic Monday, and then we had all that rain in Cincinnati, and we had something that Matt Roberts has coined... Wild Wednesday. Matt, tell us about Wild Wednesday. What went on? Yeah, I should say I tweeted that from my bed having just woken up. Not a lot of thought went into the naming process. But, oh, um... I, thought you'd, I thought you'd come up with this amazing <laughs> thing. I just needed a synonym for manic that was with a W and oh. came up with wild. So Wild Wednesday. If you remember, I actually started this game on the yes. podcast at Wimbledon. You weren't such a fan of it then, David. No, I didn't say I was really a fan of it. But anyway, carry on, Matt. What happened? Well, what happened was yesterday in Cincinnati, there were just incredible matches everywhere. Because, as you said, rain on Tuesday, I think, just put them behind schedule and they had to make up some time. So they started at 10 o'clock in the morning in Cincinnati. Bublik was not a fan of that. He was, he was yawning through his match against Dimitrov. Hard relate, yep. Yeah, absolutely. And they they finished long into the night. There was uh, seven matches on one court yesterday in Cincinnati. It was very reminiscent of Manic Monday. And normally I find it really stressful, but this was kind of like an unexpected bonus and all quite fun, I thought. Yeah, it was it was so busy that I was I started doing pole vaults at about 7am and I ran out of time to get them all in. I mean, there were so many amazing matches going on, including uh, Paula Badosa against Arena uh, Sabalenka, which ended 7-6 in the third. This is what kept happening, is just amazing matches ended up with results that I'm thinking, well, but I want to see that, and I can't, because it's on at the same time as this and that. I don't know. Which it, is it a is, very Manic Monday feeling, isn't it? They've definitely made the right decision getting rid of this, because, I, I don't know, I, I found yesterday immensely frustrating because it was too good everywhere and that's not that's not on yeah i mean you were also at the hawthorns <laughs> <laughs> no that was a different time of the day yeah, that's about right yeah no, i was, it was watching the peak, it was at peak time david yeah well exactly you know they should be planning the tennis matches around my football watching schedule. <laughs> Goodness mm. sake. I mean, I think the problem with Manic Monday is they scheduled it like that. And that's a conscious decision they're making. 
this was making up for rain. So I, I have a sort of hard time criticizing them for it um, because it was kind of had to be done. Otherwise, they would have been just completely behind schedule. But I get what you mean when there's so many great matches on at once. It is it is frustrating. Um, but I imagine for grounds pass holders, it was like a sort of dream day. There was just so many good matches, even on outside courts. What, what you mean I've got to think about other people? Right. <laughs> it's, it's fun being a grounds pass holder in in Cincinnati. Yeah. It's I, a, it's a, I mean, if, it, if it's not unbearably hot, then it's a really... Or, or raining. Or, or raining. It's a really fun tournament. They're sponsored. One of their sponsors is a local ice cream company, and it it is... It's memorable ice cream. I still think about it quite a lot. <laughs> when did you go to Cincinnati? Um, f- five years ago, something like that. Did you dangle off any buildings at that one or well, not? Well, Cincinnati is is the uh, one, the event situated next door to the best theme park I've ever attended, of oh. course. And uh, yes, I was I was I was there for the whole week covering it for for radio. And uh, I've told my Cincinnati tales on this podcast before. I was staying in the Great Wolf Lodge, which was a sort of holiday hotel adjacent to uh, the theme park. And I slept in in bunk beds shaped like wolves. (laughs) No, you haven't told the story before. (laughs) I've never heard that before. And... uh, um, yes, on on finals day, I'd, I'd been hankering after the uh, the theme park all week because you can see the rides in the in the background in the tennis centre. I could see people going down Dragon's Mouth or whatever it was, um, and I was I was just enviously staring. Anyway, finals day, uh, my friend and I, she works for the ATP. Everybody needs a friend that's prepared to, as an adult, go to a theme park with you. We paid for those. Um, so the final was at some. The men's final was at something like four p.m. in the afternoon. So I was like, right, got got about six hours here. We paid for those. Uh, skip the queue passes. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't cheap, um, and uh, yeah, spent six hours just. Just going round and round on all the rides. Flew to New York the next day for the US Open and spent two days in bed with whiplash <laughs> upon arrival. What? Shouldn't laugh about that, but quite funny. Mm. So we've had Catherine in Cincinnati relived. Who thought it? Um, but that's what we've had. Right, well, we, we better talk about some of the tennis. It's slightly tricky talking about the tennis because we're recording this before Thursday's day of play, which means... We're in grave danger of talking about the exciting performances of players who are going to have lost by the time you all listen to this. So I'm going to try and find ways around that. Uh, what I'm going to do first is just talk about Naomi Osaka's tennis, and then we'll talk about her uh, her press conference appearances and the things she's been saying and the things that have been happening. But let's just talk very quickly about the first tennis that we've seen from her since the Olympics when she lost in, what was it, the second match she played at the Olympics. But here, yesterday, against Coco Goff, she was really good. I mean, it was it was close, wasn't it? Goff got into a set and a break lead, 
from what I understand. I was watching football, um, but maybe one of you two know about what went on. But it was a comeback. And actually, from what I was reading from, I think, Chris Clary's piece in the New York Times on, on Naomi Osaka, she suddenly went into serve overdrive and just rolled through that deciding set. But that but that looks like a rivalry in the making. I think Osaka is as, as excited about the prospect as anybody. Yeah, it was their third meeting and, and they'd split the previous two and both of those had been straight set matches and relatively comfortable wins for Osaka at the US Open and then Goff at the Australian Open. And so this was their first three setter. It was a good match. It was it was tough conditions. It was really windy during the couple of hours they were playing. And absolutely, as you said, Osaka had quite a slow start, a set and a breakdown, not playing very well, but then suddenly shifted gears and really did start playing well and, and took over and played as kind of as we know she can I'm not worried when I see Naomi Osaka not playing that well in the you know in the first set because we know the incredible level of tennis she can play it's just nice to see her back on court it's nice to see her finding something in the second half of this match and it was kind of a win which Osaka's had a lot in her career where you know I think all of her slam wins there's been a win along the way where she's really had to fight for it where she's been down and it's kind of a defining trait of hers to to win some matches that you don't expect her to win. And this was one probably from a set and a breakdown. And yeah, I thought overall a good match and a good performance and certainly certainly a rivalry, nice rivalry developing between them. Yeah, I, the, the, the rivalry developing is a really nice little sub storyline to, to that matchup because, you know, aside from kind of Barty Sabalenka, which we're really pushing rivalries is the only aspect of the kind of WTA Avengers that has disappointed a bit over the last 18 months they haven't quite emerged in for various different reasons in the way um that we would have wanted and I really I really think Osaka and and Goff is the real deal um and we'll be seeing it lots hopefully Now, there were a lot of headlines before this match even took place, which uh, which you may have come across. You may have been hearing about this story. We're just going to briefly run through what went on and then we'll talk about our reactions to it. And this is Naomi Osaka meeting the tennis press probably for the first time, I would say, since her decision not to face the tennis media or the media in general in, in Paris. Now, she did speak... Uh, briefly following her Olympics defeat in the mixed zone, which is a, a little area the players walk through at the Olympics on the way back to the locker room, which is different to the more official and uh, formal setting of a press conference, which is what we tend to have at tennis tournaments. Before the event in Cincinnati, she did attend the, the pre-event press conference, which which most of the top players do they're requested and and that's something that that tends to happen and it and it still happened in her case the our attention was alerted to it I, I wasn't actually in the press conference but i was alerted to some some tweets from our colleague ben rothenberg who was in that press conference and who reported that there'd been a, a series of questions which should ended up with Naomi Osaka in tears, having to stop the, the press conference for five minutes and then coming back in to complete it. Um, 
since gone back and actually looked at the transcripts of what went on, and it was a, a journalist called Paul Doherty of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Uh, this is what he'd said to Osaka midway through this press conference. He said, you're not crazy about dealing with us, especially in this format, yet you've a lot of in- outside interests that are served by having a media platform. I guess my question is, how do you balance the two? Um, and he uh, then asked a supplementary question about what she might have said to Simone Biles, who you may remember um, was reporting at the Olympics that, uh, or, or, or pulling out of events at the Olympics because she needed some, some time uh, away from it all. Um, Naomi Osaka replied, when you say I'm not crazy about dealing with you guys, what, what does that refer to? Um, he, he followed up and he said, well, you've said you don't especially like the press conference format, yet that seems to be obviously the most widely used means of communication to the media and through the media to the public. She thought on that for a while. Um, she said, that's interesting. I would say the occasion when 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 to do the press conference is, is what I feel is the most difficult. And she thought on it some more. Um, the moderator who was there offered for her to move on to the next question, which she, she declined. She said, no, I'm actually very interested in that point of view. So could you repeat the question, which she tried to do? And, and she... She gave an answer, which which is quite interesting. She said, I, I can't really speak for everybody, uh, but ever since I was younger, I've had a lot of media interest on me. I think it's because of my background as well as the way I play, because in the first place, I'm a tennis player. That's why a lot of people are interested in me. And she gave a, a very thoughtful answer. And then when she got to the end of it, she said, but I'd like to say I'm not really sure how to balance the two. I'm figuring it out at the same time as you are, I would say. And at that point, she became emotional and she she looked up to the ceiling. She tried to pull her cap over her eyes and, and she was in tears as the next questions were asked. And at that point, they, they stopped the, um, the press conference. Now, shortly after that, we saw, um, we saw a statement on Ben Rothenberg's Twitter feed from Naomi Osaka's agent, Stuart Duguid, and... The statement read as follows. The bully at the Cincinnati Enquirer is the epitome of why player of why player media relations are so fraught right now. Everyone on that Zoom will agree that his tone was all wrong and his sole purpose was to intimidate. Really appalling behaviour. And this insinuation that Naomi owes her off-court success to the media is a myth. Don't be so self-indulgent. Well, that then kicked off and created headlines all over the world. And there were various thought pieces written, columns written about both the approach of the journalist uh, and the questions asked, the reaction to them from Naomi Osaka and that statement from Osaka's agent, which I have to say, I personally, I don't agree with with his version of events there i've seen the exchange i think that the questions asked by the journalists were 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 fair uh, and i i thought the tone that they were asked in was maybe not how we in the tennis media i don't think i would have asked it in quite the same way because i'm really aware of of what's been going on and also maybe i just have a different tone generally but i also don't think he was asking them in a in a really 
intimidatory way certainly i didn't find there was any intent to to get a reaction or or to upset i didn't think that that's what was going on what what did you think yeah i entirely agree with you david i i I think i think the only misstep here really is the is the statement from naomi osaka's agent i think i think the question was legitimate from the from the journalist i think um he did a very good job of clarifying himself i didn't find it to be aggressively toned it wasn't perhaps uh the most f- it was exactly as you say it wasn't perhaps toned the way a journalist really familiar with her from the tennis tennis media uh, might have phrased it but it certainly wasn't aggressive or intimidating I think the moderator handled it very well, giving Naomi the option to to move on to the next question because she looked like she might have wanted to, but actually Naomi said, "No, I'm I'm interested in this. I want to, I want to to answer it, and I I I want to think on that point of view." Um, and 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 the agent uh, and and I was i was impressed with that from asaka you know the the curiosity in her the the not wanting to just deflect i mean maybe it would actually be better for her to to develop a means of just deflecting these questions in press but it's so she she so wants to be open i think and she so wants to be authentic and that's a great credit to her um but i yeah i th- i think i think her agent statement actually does her a real a real disservice um i it, it was it was really difficult to watch her getting upset like that um but it the upset is clearly just there beneath the surface the whatever it is the sadness the anxiety the stress is clearly there to to be triggered and i i want her to be helped with that and i want her to be okay but i I don't think that that journalist's question was the ultimate reason why she became upset in that press conference. I don't know what the solution is for Naomi Osaka to to get into a better place mentally and emotionally. She might just need to, might just be time. She might just need to keep playing, keep thinking on things, keep figuring things out. She might need some. Might be best for her to take some time away from the game, as people are expecting. I have no idea what's best for her. I just want her to have all the help and support that she needs to get there. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I think there is some extremely unnuanced discussion around what happened that is that's really unhelpful, um, and and some of the headlines you see as a result of, you know, hot takes from it all are particularly unhelpful, unhelpful to Osaka, ultimately. And I think we all just want Osaka to be okay because Osaka being okay makes tennis more okay because she's such a tremendous asset to tennis and it's wonderful to see her back playing. Hmm. I'm going to ask uh, Matt's view uh, or, or and version of events of what followed the the Coco Goff match in a moment. Um but also, Catherine, I think I think it once again raises the question over 
because that's what we all want, we want Naomi Osaka to be okay, to not be suffering, to, to be able to play the sport that she wants to play and to give everybody the benefit of her brilliance as a tennis player and her captivating personality and difference and everything she gives as as a human being because she's she's wonderful in so many ways. And somehow we need to arrive at a position where where that's what we get without her feeling terrible. Um do we need to do we I've been thinking about this a lot. Do we need to change some things in how we run this sport or I say we, but that how the sport is run and how people like us in the media are dealt with? Do we need to have some flexibility, some variety so that rather than just trying to cram every player into a one size fits all press conference and this is how it's done? Um, for everybody, maybe that maybe there does need to be some variety to to all of this. Quite possibly, and I definitely think opening the channels of communication and discussion and debate about that would be extremely welcome. I I haven't heard any proposals of a framework, a new system that would work better than the existing the existing one. I certainly don't have one to propose to you but then all the more reason for, for discussion and, and batting ideas around. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, that it would be extremely arrogant and complacent to suggest that there is no better way of doing things than what we, what we currently have. Um, but yeah, to, to, to characterize it as a, 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 what was the exact wording that that that's, um, Stuart Dugard used to characterise the uh, the relationship that why media why player media relations are so fraught right now? Well, I don't I don't think that's an ac- accurate characterisation of the situation. I, as as I've just said, yeah, I'm sure there could be some some improvements, some enhancements. There could there could be some from the media side as well, but a statement like that creates an even more adversarial tone to the situation and you know it does make it seem media versus player that's how that's how that statement reads to me and that is deeply unhelpful that adds to the problem or or the Mm. perceived problem in my view and and that's not how she's absolutely not she is she's uh, she's almost a victim of her her own desire to be open and authentic and we love her for that but you know that most top level sports people have a you know have developed a defense mechanism in press haven't they to you know it's like politicians have to to instead of actually answering the question you've asked to to answer the question that you want to answer to deflect away the questions that that probe into somewhere that you don't want to go emotionally or mentally and she 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 doesn't ever resort to those things. And maybe it's just not in her to do that, or maybe she's sort of purposefully resisting doing that. But, you know, it's... She she wants to have a good relationship with the press. Um, and maybe things need to change in order for that to be the case going forward. But, you know, lighting a fire under... under arguments that more perceptions that it's an adversarial system are is is unhelpful just to say that 
topic of whether there could be some change in how press conferences are run was brought up in this Naomi Osaka pre-tournament press conference in one of the initial questions before everything happened that you've just just relayed. And look, she said, I don't know the requirements of the press. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying this, but I equally I'm understanding that I'm not speaking from your point of view, but from my point of view as a player, perhaps we could have... <laughs> I think she used the term like a sick day or something, just like a maybe once in a while, just a free pass, just to say, look, I, I don't I don't feel like doing press today. And maybe I could reply to some questions in an email or something like that. And they can do that. You know, Osaka could skip a press conference, but she would be fine for it, which is quite aggressive. I do think fining someone for not doing a press conference. Um, I think, you know. That's an interesting suggestion. You know, a a pass every once in a while. I think she sort of opened the conversation there and hopefully it will it will go forward. We could call it a Venus if we wanted a fun a fun name for it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, I I don't find email exchanges typically that helpful, but each player is different. Some people come alive in a in a different format. And that's why I don't want to close the door and just say, no, you need to come in in front of all of us. And I mean, the other thing that I've seen happen in the past is journalists as a group saying, well, listen, why don't we just send one of us in armed with the questions and just have a one-to-one for a bit, you know, I just and that does happen. I don't. I don't want. I don't. I think this it gets lost a little bit that journalists and the media generally are not flexible. Well, that's not the case. Very often, the media will try to work with the officials and with the player to to get something that gives them content, but also isn't going to put a player through an awful experience. They're, they're not ogres. I would also um, say it's, it's harder for everybody at the moment doing this stuff over zoom i mean it, it, the the system is as good as it can be remotely and i think we're all very grateful to you know to the communications um operators that have that have made that possible and streamlined the system over the course of the last 18 months but building up a rapport judging a tone judging a mood um you know, picking up on a line of line of questioning, you know, asking follow ups. All of that is extremely difficult. A lot of the time in these Zooms, you're having to submit your question in advance. So you can't really be responsive to the to the situation or you have to put your hand up, you know, and alert that you've got a question well in advance. It's it's a lot harder to be sensitive to the moment and the mood um, and I'm sure that goes both ways, but of course, we can only speak of it from a from a from a journalist point of view. So it, it's suboptimal for us too. Um, and yeah, it's that absolutely, absolutely. Let's open a open a discourse about. Let's let's have a what what would they do in Parliament? You'd have a a focus group. Can we just go down the pub? A tennis focus group with players on it and journalists and agents and ATP WTA people. Good idea. We can have meetings about having meetings. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, what happened after the Coco Golf match? Because um, Osaka did a press conference then as well, didn't she? She did, yes. And on the court, she had said how 
she's sort of changed her mindset and you know she said she was pleased to win but honestly with everything going on in the world and and, and she came out onto the court wearing a wearing a Haitian mask and um you know she said just waking up in the morning at the moment feels a lot like a win and you know I think that's quite a that's quite a big insight into into how she's feeling how she feels the effects of everything that is going on in the world um and she was asked about that comment in her, her press conference and it became a more general discussion about her decision not to do media at the French Open and she said yeah I wondered what affected me and made me not want to do media I'm wondering if I was scared because sometimes I would see headlines of players losing and then the headline the next day would be like a collapse or they're not that great anymore. She said the choice to go out there and play, to go see fans, the people that are coming out and watching you play, that itself is an accomplishment. And I'm not sure when along the way I started desensitizing that. It started not being an accomplishment for me. So I felt like I was very ungrateful on that fact. And look, that is... Those are the sort of thoughtful, interesting answers that Naomi Osaka gives in her press conferences. And I've been thinking about this, and you mentioned Simone Biles earlier, and it, it stri- strikes me that there is a similarity in what they're both saying. I, I, having watched the Naomi Osaka documentary, there's a line in there where she says, what am I if I'm not a successful tennis player? And something Simone Biles tweeted during the Olympics was... I never felt like I was defined by anything other than my gymnastics. And and it strikes me that those are very similar statements. And, you know, it, it, actually it made me think of a lot of the retired athletes and tennis players who struggled to come to terms with the fact that their tennis playing career or their sporting career is over because that's sort of all they've ever known. And I think Biles and Asakura are saying they don't want to be completely defined by that. They don't want to be completely defined by winning, by success, by medals as well. They want different purposes in life. And look, I think that's probably very, very healthy, hopefully, both in the short term and also in the long term later in their life. I think these are interesting conversations. You know, we just sort of hope for her sake and all the fans in tennis hope for their sake as well that Osaka can, exactly as as you've both said, get the help and support she needs at the moment yeah yeah quite right uh well she now faces jill teichman in the next round um which probably probably already know the results of that <laughs> so you're listening to this but anyway we will uh discuss what else happens results wise um involving naomi Osaka at the end of the tournament in our show on sunday night or monday Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. 
but if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Lots more tennis to discuss, but first a bit of bad news. Big bad news, really, with uh, Dominic Team out for the season. And... I just found this, I knew this was coming and yet it still hit me hard, Catherine. I don't quite know why. I think the moment that I heard it, I wanted to seek out a little montage of Dominic Team's greatest hits to remind me of how good he is and how much fun he is and how exhilarating he is. Because we haven't seen that side of Dominic Team since he won the US Open, in all honesty. He, he, He had a difficult time coming to terms and with it and, and bouncing back as a tennis player. He seemed to hit the wall. Um, and then he had this horrible wrist injury. And he says, the past six weeks, I've been following medical advice, wearing the wrist splint, doing exercise to stay in shape before starting to train back on court. My recovery was going really well. But then last week, I hit a ball during training and started to feel some pain again. I went straight to the doctor's had some tests. They said my wrist needs more time. So we've all agreed on, agreed on being really conservative, which I think is a good move. He says, I'll wear the wrist splint for a couple more weeks before starting with exercises and then training with the racket again. But Catherine, the fact and the thought of Dominic Team not defending his US Open title when fans are back, that's such a shame. Yeah, he's joining the Juan Martin Del Potro wrist injury support group as we speak. Um yeah, same actually, David. I it was absolutely no surprise at all. I mean, it was only a few weeks ago that we saw that video of him having to play tennis left-handed. Um, you know, that's how that's how far along in in his recovery process he is with that right wrist. So, of course, it's no great surprise, and it's if anything, it's a relief because I, I didn't want to see him struggle back out there just to make an appearance at the US Open in order to, you know, tick the box of defending his title. Um, because Dominic Team being a shadow of himself is is no fun at all. Um, we've seen, you know, he can get beaten quite handily, actually, with his game being, you know, a few percent underpowered, which it inevitably would have been. Um and yet still i was i was really saddened and shocked by it i mean it re- exactly as you say it will have been a year it's going to have been a lot more than a year since we saw dominic team playing the sort of tennis that makes us gasp and he's a he's a real loss to the tour i think more more than i had realized i think i felt it last week in in canada you know, when a couple of the top players lost, the 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 men's draw suddenly felt a bit bare, 
And he I used to thinking, be so reliable, wasn't exactly, he? Exactly, you know? yeah. I suddenly sort of looked at it and thought, well, who's, who's missing here? You know, obviously Djokovic and Nadal are missing. Obviously Federer is missing, but it feels like more than that. And it took me took me a few moments to go, God, Dominic Team. You know, he just he just would have been there. And it was exciting watching him figure out the hard courts. It was really good fun. Um, and, yeah, it's he's a real loss. I really miss his feet off the ground, single-handed, into-out, backhand winners. And I hope they return to all of our lives soon. Well, Matt and I are going to work on sourcing the most complete montage of those shots from his career and we're going Great. to gift wrap them for you Catherine Thank you very much. yes yeah. we might we might slip a Denis Shapovalov one in there as well and uh, yeah yep may, here may, for that. that'll make you feel other things <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can just drop a little Matt Roberts two-hander version mm-hmm. as well, you know. yeah. is it Matt it's Roberts it. is it Marcelo Rios who can yeah, tell yeah, it's very difficult um, Simona Halep, by the way, another player with a great backhand, has withdrawn from Cincinnati. She beat Magda Lynette and was all smiles after it, but she had a, a what was reported as a small tear in her right adductor and has decided to pull out that tournament. I think probably precautionary more than anything in this instance, not like the injury she sustained in Rome and ended up missing French Open and Wimbledon. She says she'll rest up, do everything she can to be ready for the US Open. I really hope so. I really hope that this is nothing major as a setback because, again, a little bit like team, she's just one of those massive value adders to any tournament. You just, you care. You can't watch Simona Hallett matches without caring. I don't know quite how she does it, but that is something she's got going for her. Uh, as a tennis player so get well soon Simona Uh, let's have a little look at the the women's draw um, and see where we're up to as we talk to you right now Ash Barty got a win against Heather Watson now faces the defending champion Victoria Azarenka Uh, I'm I'm just going to do a lot of yes pleasing here Mm -hmm. Um, let's just get I'll leave that that. in your hands (laughs) (laughs) I heard Ash Barty's press conference before the tournament and it was all about the olympics it was it was it was so funny because obviously as you've described it was just a mix zone in the olympics so i think a lot of journalists you know probably weren't in tokyo and didn't get to ask barty the questions they would have liked to have asked her and gosh she seems refreshed and rejuvenated having been to the olympics she was talking about just how nice it was to have been around Australian accents in the village because you know she's not been home for so long and she's just had her little team with her but just to see other Australians and to be in that environment and this is going to be one of her I think favorite tennis memories winning that bronze medal in the mixed doubles with John Pierce I hadn't realized that they're really quite close friends and and have really been targeting that medal together for quite a while and you know, it wasn't just a supplementary doubles to the singles. It was a real, I just want to win a medal for Australia. It doesn't matter which discipline it's in. It was just the sort of perfect Olympics approach for Mash Barty. And, and she loved it. And yeah, she played Heather Watson. And look, she was a bit rusty. I don't think she loves the conditions in Cincinnati. But, you know, got through and hopefully hopefully can build in this tournament. Mm. Um, you've picked Barbora Krichikova to win the title. You you had a sort of a momentary thought on Ash Barty, didn't you, Matt? And then you just immediately decided, actually, no, I'm going to go for the killer, Krichikova. Is that a new nickname? Well, that, that's just what she seems to be to me, that she's just come in and suddenly thought, oh, 
singles. Okay, I'll have a go at that. Let's <laughs> just beat everybody for months on end. Um, but anyway, you've come for it to, to, to do exactly that this tournament. Uh, beat Diana Yastremska and now faces Garbinia Magarutha. Oh, blimey, Riley, that sounds good. Yep. Will have been played by the time this podcast goes out, so let's not dwell. <laughs> uh, let's get straight on to uh, Angelique Kerber, who's going to snare me 1,510 points in the predictions competition, which uh, which Matt reckons will end the predictions competition when it happens. She's beaten Maria Sakkari and Alina Svitolina back-to-back. Is she going to do it? Are you, either of you worried? I love seeing Kerber back in this type of form. I th- it's not beyond the realms of possibility. I'm a little bit worried, but I I think the most likely scenario, she she does a Wimbledon. She'll run up against someone in the semi-finals or maybe even final. Um, but uh, uh, a, a little bit worried. <laughs> She's in an incredible section of the draw where you've got Barty against Azarenka, Kerber against Ostapenko and Krejcikova against Muguruza. You know, six Grand Slam champions all next to each other in the draw. Just, you know, just as we were saying, the the men's field without Djokovic and Nadal can very quickly feel quite bare if there are some losses. That just doesn't happen in, in these women's tournaments at the moment. And yeah, I mean, it's a very big win over Svitolina. I hadn't realised that she'd lost her last seven against Svitolina. No, because it, it was 9-5, the head-to-head, wasn't it? But mm. it's all turned around dramatically. Yeah, totally. And yet, you know, when it really mattered, she was the more daring player. She was the one willing willing to go for it. And she came up with some great forehand winners in crucial stages of that of that match. And that was her first top 10 win in a completed match since Eastbourne of 2019. Goodness. She's really keeping up the form that that she found on the grass a few months ago. Uh, With Torben Belts as her coach, I think for the fourth time (laughs) they're back together. (laughs) It just works, guys. Stick with it. Um, But, uh, yeah, she's doing me proud. But I should say the only reason I went for her to, to win the tournament was because Matt told me about how comfortably she dispatched Maria Sakkari. And I thought, right, I'll do it as a prediction. Um, <laughs> I was quite sad to see the state Jennifer Brady was in when she was forced to retire against Yelena Ostapenko. I mean, she looked in a bad way. Um, some sort of leg issue, I think. And uh, Yeah, foot, I think. Right. I mean, that she'd won the first set. It was She was 5-4 down in the second and then just couldn't go on. I mean, that's that really doesn't sound good to be honest, ahead of the US Open to me. Um, and she's had a few, hasn't she? She's had a few injuries now. I think maybe even the same injury, but just, you know, she just keeps getting stuff that's knocking her about. Um, and, uh, well, get get well soon, Jennifer Brady. Uh, Ons Jabur beat Iga Sviantek. Wow. And pretty straightforwardly, I think. It was about three and three, which, uh, which surprised me a bit. I know Sviantek had been talking about her doubles she'd been playing with bethany matic sands to a full house um but uh these draws are absolutely rammed with with top big names it made me think back to their match at wimbledon because jabur beat Sviontek then as well so she's won their last two and that was a three-setter at wimbledon but actually 
it wasn't that close. I, I think Sviontek grabbed the first set, suddenly raising her level, and then Jabir just stormed through the second and third sets that day. And she did a similar thing last night. I just watched it back this morning, and my goodness, there's something about the way Sviontek hits the ball that seems to go right into Jabir's strike zone. She she was just teeing off, <laughs> just hitting winners galore. She's She's really in kind of breathtaking form at the moment and you sort of just feel like she could be on the verge of something and yet as we spoke about in last week there are just these little barriers that she needs to overcome but her tennis is so so good i'm going to use that one catherine in the future could be on the verge of something <laughs> that was it was very david law matt <laughs> i like that so jabernav is on the verge of facing petra kvitova um so, you know, good luck with that one. Uh, Jessica Pagula is benefiting from the Halep withdrawal. So Pagula now faces Karolina Pliskova, who she's beaten four times out of four this year. So that's a good one. Um, Paula Badassa, I mentioned earlier, uh, she is two for two. She's won two matches in deciding set tie breaks, uh, including against Sabalenko in the previous round, and now faces Elena Rabakina. Who who got an absolutely smashing win against Alina, uh, Lisa Mertens? Uh, I saw three and two. I think that was um, Carolina Mukova. This this was a another story that I noticed was that Johanna Konta was uh, was a set up against Carolina Mukova and lost lost it lost the second set tiebreak and lost in three um, and then. And the same happened to another British player, Cameron Norrie. I noticed he was a set, a set up and ended up losing a second set tie break before before losing his match. But Bianca Andreescu got absolutely dispatched by Mukova last night. Did you see any of that? I did, yeah. And I also watched Konta Mukova, and I thought Konta was awesome in the first set. Just perfect Joe Konta tennis. You know, everything working and... And then there was a rain delay, actually, when she was a set up. And I think that changed the course of that match. And Mukova found her form. And then she comprehensively outplayed Andrescu. It was quite something to see, actually. And thankfully, Andrescu didn't seem to have any physical issues. But that sort of made it all the more perplexing, really. Because I kind of think of Andrescu's tennis as pretty much the best tennis when she's capable of playing it. But then I thought... Well, she hasn't been able to play tennis sort of consecutively for such a long time because she keeps getting little setbacks. And I think she looked like a player still needing to find her form, whereas Mukova just looked like someone in absolute sort of peak form. You know, and she was the one conjuring up the brilliance when she really needed it, which is something you associate with Andrescu. Yeah, I think it was kind of a real marker of just how tough things are for Andrescu at the moment. You know, she's got a lot of points to defend at the US Open and Indian Wells over the next couple of months. She didn't defend her Canada points either. I think you know, I think she was the second seed in Canada, wasn't she? And she was the she's the seventh seed here. Her ranking and her sort of place in tennis could look quite different if if she doesn't find that form in the next few months because she's nowhere near the player she was a couple of years ago and no. yet I still believe She's capable. It's in there. She she needs a run. She doesn't need to worry about the ranking, in my view. I think the biggest problem is that the US Open and Indian Wells are coming up. She can't use those really to just get some form in. Whereas I think what she could do with is some lower level tournaments. 
quite honestly, even if it was going down a completely different rung of events just to get loads and loads of matches in. Mm. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Get get wins, get matches, build confidence in your body. I do think that's a, a big thing from, from hearing, you know, pundits, ex-players talk about how, you know, when, when it feels like the injuries are piling up or when the injuries, in fact, are piling up. You know, that reaction she had with the toe injury in uh, in Montreal when she, she started sobbing in the chair, didn't she? And I don't think it was about the toe. It was about, oh, my God, something else. Yeah. You know, Maria Balotelli, why always me vibes. And I, look, I would feel the same. I was thinking, why always you, Bianca? Um, but I, she's, I think she's lost confidence in her body and that must affect how you how you move and this, the decisions you make on, on the court. And she needs to be an instinctive player, I think. She needs to not be second-guessing any of those decisions on the court. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the only way to overcome that is by doing it and winning and playing. So you could be on something there, David. Well, who'd have thought it? Um, Andy Murray looked like he might have been on something the other day when he uh, won 6-4, 6-4 against Richard Gasquet, who's the guy who'd beat him in his first singles match back with a metal hip two years ago. Same play, same scoreline, but Murray turned the tables. He he, he looked good in this uh, in this match against Gasquet, and he looked good as well for a set, particularly against Hubert Hercatch last night. Eventually he ended up losing it 7-6, 6-2. Um, but physically, Catherine, Murray looks better than he has in a while I think it's fair to say and there's a bit of news on his side with an addition to his team who you know something about well his physio has been on his team for a while but is is usually a non non-present member of the team uh he's, what's his name his name is James Moore he's also my physio had an appointment with him on had an appointment with him on Tuesday. Now I know why that was cancelled. He's over in Cincinnati, uh, doing a stellar job. It has to be said. Uh, I am I'm, for both of them. I'm doing my exercises, James. See you in September. Um, <laughs> Late September. I believe you found a bigger fish to fry. Um, yeah, I thought Andy Murray looked really good in that Gasquet match and for a lot of the Hercatch match as well. Uh, I think he's playing slightly differently. I think he is playing the way people have sort of been expecting him to start playing for the last couple of years, really. It definitely looked more aggressive to me. Um, there was m- more beef on his serve, I thought, which was making a big difference, more cheap points. There was there was rust, definitely, Um he had he had either set points or opportunity. He had two set points uh, against her catch at the end of that first set, and probably should have taken one of them. Just uh, he he had a he had a ball to put away and um, played a rusty shot, I think. And there were a few incidences of that. But hey, rust is rust is a way better reason to be losing matches than any of the other reasons that he's danced between for the last however long so I I thought really positive signs for Andy Murray I thought it was really encouraging both his actual tennis just you know past the eye test compared to Wimbledon where he was quite reactive whereas here he was you know trying to call the shots and 
as you said, he didn't look underpowered, whereas he had done before. And then just hearing him talk, you know, afterwards, he said, from a pain perspective, in matches this week, I felt really good and better than I have done for a long time. And that makes practice easier as well, because I'm not waking up in the morning worried about being in pain. I'm just enjoying it all the more because I know what it feels like to wake up and be in pain. And, you know, just as you've described there, not not taking those set points. He put that down to decision making. And he said he doesn't have a run of matches against top players to trust himself to make right decisions in the big moments. And he said the last time he did that was the end of 2019 when he played all those tournaments in Asia. And then he went to Antwerp and he ended up winning the thing because he was sort of match sharp and he just needs that back. Um, and he and he said something interesting about whether to play next week in Winston-Salem. The concern he's got is that he thinks he might do too well and it might harm his preparations for the US Open. <laughs> Humble brag. He said, I need matches, <laughs> but if I play like this, I think I'm going to do really well in Winston-Salem and that's going to hurt the US Open. But I mean, he's not spoken like that in a long time. That's coming from a place of confidence really in in how he's playing and that's that's great to to hear even if it is quite funny (laughs) got tickets on himself that Andy Murray um no quite right it's uh, just great to see him back and looking looking better than he has in a while and certainly better than I expected him to um other people that are still in the tournament Daniel Medvedev Alexander Zverev Stefano Tsitsipas all through without dropping a set to this point um, Medvedev now faces Grigor Dimitrov, who got a good win over Alexander Bublik. What's going on there? He likes Cincinnati, doesn't he, Dimitrov? Well, maybe this is it. Maybe this. <laughs> anyway, uh, 500th career win for Gael Monfils against Alex Dimonor, who, incidentally, um, Dimonor had gone through a run. I looked this up. He'd gone through a run where he'd lost the consecutive sets. As follows, 6-2, love at one point in the last three weeks. He'd lost those sets, which really doesn't sound Alex Dimonor at all to me. Um, but he lost the first set 6-love against, can't remember who now, but he came back and won the match. Um, but then he's run into Monfils, who seems to be playing out of his mind at the moment um, and just looks to be riding high and enjoying the circuit at the moment which which is lovely to see because he's had his troubles hasn't he mm. he said he feels a thousand times better get on one feast great Aww. well he's great he, br- to hear. he brings the good times so it's lovely uh, to i presume that's a thousand times better than uh, i'm hoping the low point was that australian open press conference that made me cry mm. yes oh, he seems like a lovely bloke mm. Gail Monfils, doesn't, doesn't he? he just yeah Hundredth um, career win for Casper Ruud against uh, Riley Apelka. Is that um, something we celebrate? Well, that I feels think... like people that celebrate a three-month anniversary. Kind of well done, Casper. Um, okay, what about this? He won a six-love set against Riley Apelka. Okay, that's that's more of a celebration. Yeah, throw him a party for that. <laughs> How does that happen? I think Apelka might have been... I mean, Mm. I didn't see it, but tired. (laughs) 
Rude now faces Diego Schwartzman, who who we watched a few days ago beat Dan Evans in a wildly entertaining match, um, which I was really pleased for Evans' perspective that he made competitive because he'd been getting beaten up by players in the matches before that. Um, he's, then, he's struggled from having COVID, hasn't he? Since yeah. the past, take note. Yes, and Sitsipas we should mention because he has given his views on vaccines during this tournament. Um, in his pre-tournament press conference, he said he would only get the vaccine if it was mandatory for the tour. He was then asked about it in Greek after his win over Seb Korda. These are quotes from SDNA. Uh, the COVID-19 vaccine has not been tested enough because it is new and has some side effects, says Sitsipas. I know some people who've had them. I'm not against it. I just see no reason for someone in my age group to be vaccinated yet. For us young people, I think it's good to pass the virus because we'll build immunity. I don't see it as something bad. Right. It's an astonishing and unforgivable level of arrogance and ignorance, and I'm hugely disappointed. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I share your view. Yeah, it's, depre- it's, depre- it's depressing. There's too, there's too many tennis players that have been saying stuff like that, and it's depressing. Hmm. Yeah, quite right. I know other I know other sports have have high profile people that have expressed similar views, but it feels like tennis has more somehow. Someone somewhere do a PhD thesis on why so many tennis players have anti vax sentiments. And somebody get Andy Murray to get them all in a room and talk to them collectively mm. about it. Right. Uh, we will have more tennis podcasts coming your way over the next few weeks. <laughs> Lots of them. Um, including US Open Relived, because we've decided on our two shows with the, with the great help of our guest editors, Chris Albert Lee and James Meredith. And we're going to be covering Marat Safin and his run to the US Open crown in 2000. Cannot wait to do that. Um, Everybody who witnessed Safin play has thoughts, stories to tell, and we're going to be trying to tell as many of them as we can. Uh, He won the the crown in 2000, beating Pete Sampras in the final. Um, And we're going to cover the 2015 Victory for Roberta Vinci over Serena Williams, stopping her pursuit of the Grand Slam, the calendar year Grand Slam in 2015. So those are the two stories we'll cover on US Open Relived. We're also going to be talking to our good friend Chris Clary of the New York Times, who's got a book coming out next week uh, entitled The Master, which is basically the Roger Federer story through his experiences interviewing him, I think, around more than a dozen times over the last uh, 20 years plus. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic book. I've, I've read it. Matt's read it. And uh, we're going to get to talk to Chris um, for a show that we're going to be putting out early next week as well. Um, and we're going to be back with you to tell you all about Cincinnati on Monday. We've got daily editions of the tennis podcast throughout the US Open. We're going to have Hannah back with us on Twitter. Can't wait. Um, we're going to have uh, a US Open draw preview. 
don't look so worried, guys. We're going to be able to do it. I've got loads of energy after my holiday. <laughs> David's high on vitamin D, everyone. Yeah. 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 A holiday and the West Brom win is a, is a combination. Toxic or intoxicating? In, intoxicating, yes, <laughs> right. quite right. Mm, okay. uh, and we've got, Catherine, cheer yourself up with, with looking at the picture of Wilhelm. Oh, I have many times this week already. The Bernese Mountain Dog, who is magnificent mm. personified. And uh, you, you've seen a picture of him if you subscribe to our newsletter. If you don't, what are you doing? Scan down in your show notes and click on subscribe on our newsletter newsletter immediately. And you'll then you'll be able to get there. Them. Yeah, nearly. Uh, and we'll put a picture of Wilhelm on our social media for all of you stragglers who haven't got around to it yet. Um, so, you know, you can go and see it there. Zeus is Catherine's mascot. Scouse and Mousel is Matt's. Mine is Rogue. And we're going for it big time, Rogue, uh, with Angelique Kerber. So let's get the job done. Uh, Billy Jean K9, the dog, is back in town, or certainly back in Catherine's flat. Is she there at the moment? Sounds very quiet. She's at daycare today. She's, oh. she's being trialled at a new daycare. Right. Ooh, As in she's on good. trial, not daycare, <laughs> apparently. They've heard the stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they've heard about the leads. They've got a lot of nice wiring there at the new daycare that needs looking after. She's grown. Billie Jean's She's grown. She's matured since then. Got to prove so herself. Cool. She Well, she's sponsored by Billie Jean King, who's got her book out at the moment called All In, which um, is out in the US now, and it's coming out in the UK soon as well. It is the autobiography of Billie Jean King. Mm. I do not need to say anything more. I've started Just reading it. Go and get it. Just go and get it, yeah. Yes. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer as well as being our US Open relived uh, editor for one of our shows next week. I can't wait. Can we do all this now? Because I want to do it now. No. All right. Okay, well, we'll do it next week. And we'll be back with you in a few days' time, looking back on Cincinnati. Thanks for your company. We'll speak to you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 